Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Moving Spotlight Podcast. My name is John Ruby, and this is my main man, Corbin Quayle. Hey, everyone. Today, we're excited to have Sean Sharma on the show. Sean is an Ooh. actor, working actor, uh, acting teacher, and casting professional. Sean, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So excited. <laughs> this is great. This is great. So um, we first have to start off, Sean, there is a rumor that I was your first friend in Los Angeles. Is that true or not? <laughs> is that true or not? It's probably true. I, I think it is true. Um, <laughs> I mean, because I, I mean, as far as like friends that I made when I moved to Los Angeles, I think that's I think that's true. It was it was I think it was Charles wasn't far behind. I met Charles shortly afterwards. Yes. Um, Charles Carpenter, for those who are listening, who may not know who Charles is. He's a lovely, lovely man. Yes. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Great. So, so we have been friends for a long time, uh, Corbin, just so you yeah, know. Like, and just uh, three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two, three More days. Three years. Yeah. Yes, that's good. That's good. Yeah. We don't want to, we don't want to age ourselves. And we're both uh, Midwestern guys. Uh, Sean's uh, from Minnesota. Obviously. I'm from, I mean, obviously yeah. from, from Wisconsin. Corbin, we're not going to hold that against you. Um, California. But, <laughs> but um, Sean, I want to kind of dive in just and step back to that time. What first kind of, triggered your interest in in acting and entertainment and, and, and performance? I was failing out of school, actually. So I had a pretty rough childhood just with my, I mean, it's all relative. Lots of people have rough childhoods. But for me, it was, you know, the challenges of my dad and my mom who uh, moved here from India and just the Indian style of old school style of raising a kid wasn't really working in, in the United States. And I was born and raised here. And so it was a tough uh, go of it. Also, my mom and my dad were in arranged marriage, so that didn't work out very well in their case. So I was always trying to take care of myself as a kid by trying to not be in my house, be at friends' houses, etc., which meant that I really didn't do homework. I was really good at the tests, um, and so I continued to like eke by, but I was always at friends' houses trying to just self-medicate with you know, friendship and video games and outdoor activities and whatever. Um, and so I actually was failing the ninth grade and I needed to go to summer school in order to pass junior high school. <laughs> yeah, It really takes work to, to almost fail junior high school. <laughs> it does, it really does. And I, uh, I ended up in a summer school program with a guy named Roger Mon, who happened to be both the journalism teacher and the director of the high school musicals in Wyzetta High School. Um, this is back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And so I was in one of his classes, the first day of class, somebody had, you know, said something when I walked into the classroom to tease me because I was, you know, skinny, lanky, dorky Indian kid back then. Um, my parents really didn't know how to raise me to be like stylish and all that stuff. So I was just kind of doing my best. But you know, huge bottleneck glasses and, you know, very little fashion sense or whatever. Oh, I've and got so, a picture, Sean, I've got a picture real quick of my sister and I, we both have like bowl cuts. It's like my mom <laughs> just went right. We have like the exact same haircut. I'm like, mom, Jesus. She's like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was yeah, thinking. Well, somehow I managed to do worse than you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, somebody said something in that classroom that just like was the straw that broke the camel's back and there was a box of pens and I grabbed it and I started whipping a pen at everybody in the classroom. <laughs> I was troubled back then. Um, anyway, I, next thing I know, I'm being pulled out in the hallway by my ear and uh, Roger Mon basically said, you do that again, you're going back to ninth grade. And that's where our friendship began. Mm. And he became my mentor that summer. Um, and then he said, 
when I, at the end of summer school, he said, listen, uh, try out for the fall musical. And I'm like, musical, what? Like, he's like, no, try out for the fall musical. So that my sophomore year, I tried out and he cast me not only in the musical, but also with the solo, which in why is that a high school at that time was really a big deal because a sophomore doesn't get solos in those big there. I mean, our musicals were well-funded, huge productions. Like it was, it was awesome. And so I did nine plays in high school just as a result of his invitation. And so it kind of became something I got known for and had a, a, a knack for. And so I got into acting after high school just as a continuation of that type of artistic expression. But music was my first love. So I was like, oh, I'm a musician, but I act on the side. So that's mm, kind of how I got into it. That was it. the main. It's, it's yeah. interesting you say that, Sean. I, I just am, am relating. Uh, when I was younger, more grade school, I would sing solos at the Christmas, the Christmas uh, show every year. Like I remember I sang Silent Night and Twas the Night Before Christmas, like all, all like I did a bunch of those. So it's interesting that you talk about the, the music and that is something that I really um, like still, whenever I have music in my life, I love it. And I always, I'm like, I need more of this. And then I kind of forget about it or something. I drift away, let's just say. And then when it comes back, I'm like, yes, why, why do I keep forgetting about it? That makes sense. Because it's such a, um, I think it's an unlocking thing where like, you know, I was with a buddy in New York. He was a drummer. He, he drummed at UPenn, a percussionist. And he joined a drum circle and it was like the coolest. I was just like, why have I never been part of a drum circle before? Like the energy was so great that you can't like not enjoy um, when you're around that. And I think that's a really cool thing that if, if people allow themselves to, which it sounds like you did, you're like, Hey, I'm into this. I'm going to allow myself. Yeah. It was more of an escape, <clears throat> you know, mm. like for me to be able to stop being Sean for a while and to disappear into another world. So, you know, I tell people now that the reasons I act now are very different than the reasons I acted when I was a kid, you know, mm -hmm. like back then it was just, you know, a way to get away. And now it's about experiencing the variety of relationships and time periods and, you know, relationships and all that stuff. So um, anyway, so yeah, you know, but I didn't know that about you. And now that explains why you have the voice of an angel. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la. Isn't, it, isn't it a classic trope that like every actor wants to be a musician and every musician wants to be an actor? <laughs> yes. kind of... And the specific word corporate is rock star. Yeah. Every actor wants to be a rock star. <laughs> That's true. And, and every musician wants to be an actor. Is, but yes, I... Is Silent Night really a rock star kind of song? <laughs> no, that was the thing. I wasn't cool either. I mean, that's what's so funny about with what Sean said. I mean, I was 5'5 five, five as a freshman in high school. And, you know, and so like now I'm six, two, but, but the interesting thing is there's a, there's a, you know, Sean's reason for getting in of kind of like this escape um, is, is interesting for me because I think I got into it for, for different reasons, but the fact that we both really love doing this and teaching and, you know, lighting that, that candle uh, for other people um, for their own reasons. I mean, that's, you know, Corbin, you were out in California, you were out here, so you didn't have to go cross country. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, did you have any, um, anything when you were younger that that kind of sparked stuff in you uh nothing like not the same as what you guys are referring to i mean like all my friends are musicians so it was kind of like that was around me similar to what you guys are talking about it kind of helps yeah. you open your mind to other possibilities of art forms but nothing that was like a need like you said i was already out here so it was just like i don't know i'm playing video games and then i'll do this next thing <laughs> like i didn't really have a, a thought process because i think it's a little bit easier once you're party in a place that's 72 and sunny and you can always go outside and be with your friends and <laughs> all those things. Yeah. Uh, Sean, when you got out to uh, Los Angeles, what did you, 
like, what advice would you give beginning actors, people that are just arriving? Or what did you like, what was kind of the learning, the learning curve, would you say? Well, I was fortunate in two ways, well, many ways. Um, one of them was that I already arrived being union eligible because I had done work for 10 years in the Twin Cities and I had done three SAG national commercials. So coming out here, I already, you know, was uh, able to join the union and, and that was a big advantage because uh, mm -hmm. some people come out here and have to start from scratch trying to get in. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, one of my best friends from high school actually had moved out here a couple of years before I did. And so um, both me and my girlfriend, like just crashed on his couch and he was able to help integrate us into the community a little bit and meet some people, make some friends and all of that. So we already had kind of like a little support network already set up here. Um, mm -hmm. And then of course, moving out with someone, having Jessica with me was just an incredible blessing because it wasn't something I did on my own. I had a partner who was, you know, providing comfort and companionship and helping with the expenses and all of that. So it was a real, I, I had a really easier time of it than many people when they come out here. Mm -hmm. uh, so in those ways, I was kind of blessed and privileged, but you know, for other people, when they come out here or however they come out here, it's so overwhelming. I don't know about, you know, you guys, but, you know, I'd always been scared of LA growing up in the Midwest. You know, you only, the only thing you hear about LA is from popular culture, the media, whatever. So I was always afraid that it was just a gang infested dog eat dog, you know, cutthroat industry, who, you know, all that. And I was very pleasantly surprised after being out here for a short period of time that you know, there's, it's just a city that collects amazing people. There's so many more people here. So of course, there's going to be more of the narcissist asshole, whatever type of mm -hmm. people that are in every city. It's just that there's many more people here. So every proportion is larger. But you know, this is a city that collects the dreamers and artists and people with ambition and passion that come from across the world. And those were primarily who I was surrounded by when I came out here. So I guess to anybody who has moved here or thinking of moving here, I would say the first thing is, you know, you can relax a little bit. It's a much lovelier place to be than I was under the impression of before I had ever come out here. Um, and so, you know, I think that's the first thing is just, you know, relax and take in the city and don't be in a rush. And, and if I had to talk about something acting specific, the first mistake that everybody makes when they get into this business is trying to get an agent and trying to get work right away. And it's like, you know, it's like skipping medical school or law school or something like that to go right into trying to practice professionally before you've been professionally, you know, vetted or trained or whatever. I wasted three years auditioning my first three years out here because I was good enough to get an agent who believed in me, but I wasn't good enough to convert work on a regular basis. And it wasn't until I really honed in on learning how to do what it was that my career really changed. And it's seductive because our art form is subjective. So a lot of people are like, oh, but that person moved out here and booked a show right away. It's like, well, one, you're not them. You don't know the circumstances that they booked it under. Sometimes people do get to basically just be themselves in a show and they can just walk right into a series or a project or something. But that's kind of a random occurrence. That isn't something we can control. The only thing we can control is our skill to convert as many opportunities as possible and build a career as opposed to happen into a career. And so I think that's the, you know, on the, on the non-acting side, it's like, don't be scared of the city. It's a lovely place with lovely people. And on the other, on the acting side, it's, 
don't rush into trying to get to work before you're ready and make sure you get, you know, at least some professional guidance on whether you're ready to put yourself out there with the best trained, most dedicated performers on the planet. Yeah, that, that got me thinking. When I first moved out here, Sean, I did a lot of casting workshops, which I probably wasn't prepared for, you know, so you spend a lot of money on those. It, it, it would have been, you know, smarter to really dive into some classes, you know, yeah, which I was kind of people to not bring you in, you know, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, which and is also those... probably why there was such that scandal where the yeah. casting director workshops came under attack a few years ago, because many people were paying all this money to go to these workshops, and it wasn't resulting in work opportunities. But part of that has to be on the performer themselves of putting yeah. themselves out there before they're really ready. Yeah, because I think that's, that's part of, you know, um, figuring that out of, of kind of building your foundation and whatever it is. And, you know, especially if it's acting or any, any type of artistry, I think that's a great, that's a great point. You also, it sounds like you found a couple different communities that either you kind of found or you kind of stumbled upon, or you kind of created. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that, how you've kind of seeked out um, community or how you've helped create community? Yeah. I mean, I think the first one that everybody really does is join an acting, acting class. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, okay, I'm in this city, I want to meet people, I want to learn. Now, in that case, you know, because I just said, I made the mistake of trying to get representation right away and all that stuff. But that's because I had worked for 10 years in Minnesota, I had book three national union projects, I, you know, already had, I don't know, like, 50, 60 projects under my belt when I came out here. So I was under the false impression that I was a skilled enough performer to compete out here in Los Angeles right away. But I also was I thought wise enough to get myself into an acting class right away. And I found my acting teacher from a resource that I thought was, you know, the best place to find an acting teacher, which was at the Los Angeles Conservatory of SAG-AFTRA. So I went to their summer intensive. I met a bunch of acting teachers and I went with one that I met there that is one of my dearest friends and mentors to this day. Um, and I studied with her for a, a whole year, um, but I was studying the wrong kind of acting. She was focusing on, play material and theater and stage acting. And what I came out here to do was on camera acting. So it took me a while to find out that I wasn't in the right place for what I wanted to learn at the time. Um, so, uh, but I joined that class and I was looking to meet people in that class. Um, I also, as you know, um, you know, got a job randomly in casting through mutual friends. And so that really opened up the world for me because then that's basically a job where all day, all you're doing is meeting people. And so I started to get to know and, and build friendships with people very rapidly after that. And then just, you know, working with Joey and Andreas at Casting Frontier when they were just getting their submission process going and meeting other session directors. And I don't know if you remember this, but I was one of the guys that, that Joey and Andreas used to go teach other studios how to use their submission program. And, mm -hmm. and I was going out to agents and managers and casting directors and setting up their profiles with them with their computers. So I just got myself into a position where I was just meeting tons of people in our industry on a regular basis. And I was also doing those casting director workshops. So I'd meet actors in those workshops, like John Bobeck, who's also from the Midwest, is a friend that yeah. I made from yep. doing John. those, those mm -hmm. show showcases. Yeah. And then, like I said, it helped to have a friend here who's already kind of established to introduce me to people. So I got to spend a lot of time with Drew, Drew Hopkins, who's my buddy who I'd known since, you know, junior high. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the main thing is getting a job in the industry, you know, getting, you know, getting into acting related activities like class and workshops. 
that's how I started to form my my community. Actually, you know, one of the go ahead, go ahead. Cole. Yeah, yeah, I was just uh, kind of in that same world. Um, you were saying that you joined the union right away. Do you think that there are moments where you should wait or like until you're ready and kind of doing more classes and things like that? Because as soon as you join the union, obviously you're up against, you know, Brad Pitt, but you're up against the best of the best. So how do you how do you frame that to people who are eligible but want to go in? It's kind of a complicated question mm-hmm. because it isn't as easy as just saying, yeah, everybody should join the union right away. Um, the But I also, I would never want anybody to wait longer than necessary to make use of the resources that the union has available for us to help us be more successful. Like, for example, I joined the union, but I didn't know all of the resources that were avail- available to me. So I didn't actually start volunteering and really taking advantage of what the union had to offer until like 2015, 16, 17, et cetera, when I actually learned about it and got involved as a volunteer. And now it has completely transformed my life and my career. But that's, you know, 10 years after I joined. You know? yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so what I would tell people is if you're... Uh, you know, if you have the opportunity to join the union, you owe it to yourself to learn all of the ins and outs of how it works and what it has to offer you to give you an advantage over non-union performers and to build relationships with writers, directors, showrunners, producers, network executives, et cetera, to connect and learn from the best performers in our business, the Brad Pitts, as you said, or whatever. So, you know, I... I still think it was the right decision for me because I had already done 10 years of non-union work in Minnesota. I didn't come out here to do non-union work. I came out here to work at the highest levels in professional film and television and commercials. So it was a no-brainer. I'm like, I didn't even see non-union work. It's like when you get married and you have eyes for nobody else. It's like, I'm here, I'm a union actor. I don't do non-union. And so now it's really about how do I work in union projects? So I didn't have like that fear of missing out about like, oh, this non-union thing or whatever but it was also a different time. And it's weird to have been out here long enough to see things change, but it's true. Like the commercial world was largely union when I moved out here. So yeah. in 2007, eight, nine, whatever, it was booming and people were booking commercials. Sometimes people had have eight, 10 spots running a year, you know, that all paid reasonably well. And so like, that was awesome. You know, you could really support yourself with your commercial work. Today, most of the commercial work has gone non-union. So if somebody is trying to work in the commercial industry, it can really be a nail biter being like, well, I know I want to pursue TV and film, but I also want to be able to support myself as a performer with commercial work. But that's kind of harder to do now because of all the opportunities being non-union or a lot of the opportunities being non-union. And even the net, the, the union commercials pay less and the non-union commercials can sometimes pay as much or more than what you'd make from a union commercial. So it's a different landscape. Um, but what I tell people is that, you know, the, and John knows this uh, as well, the, the union casting community is in the theatrical world, very different than the non-union casting community. So, you know, you go in for certain casting offices, they only work on the top stuff. You go in other casting offices, they work on more of like the low budget indie features, whatever that may be more likely to be non-union. On the commercial side, casting directors cast both, you know, commercial and, or union and non-union commercials. Um, But so for me, it was like, you know, it was pretty obvious that I wanted to join. But today, depending on what someone wants to do, they might pause and, and reconsider. But I tell people, you know, like, why distinguish yourself in the non-union world? 
why not distinguish yourself in the union world? And I'm talking mm -hmm. about like theatrically, because if that's the case, most people didn't move across the world to come out here and do commercials. Yeah. <laughs> that just became a way for them to support themselves in along with their pursuit of their other theatrical goals, whatever they may be. And I also think a lot of people come out here not knowing how many different ways they can make money as a union performer. So you think, oh, I just want to act in movies and TV shows. Well, have you considered commercials? Have you considered voiceover? If you're able-bodied, have you considered stunt work or performance capture work? Or we, I mean, dance work, singers, if you have a, like, you know, John could be singing using his, you know, la, 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 la. <laughs> but I'm just, you know, like there's so many ways to work union contracts and support yourself. You also need to kind of diversify now as well in order to take advantage of that since the commercial opportunities have you know decreased so uh that's a long answer but the, the you know it's like i said it's a complicated thing and it's a personal choice for everybody but you know at the end of the day when i talk to groups of actors i tell them you know when is the right time for you to take a stand for your value that's mm -hmm. really the question because if you're willing to work for anything then maybe you're not ready to join the union but when you're willing to say, I won't work for less than this amount, less than these types of respectful working conditions, these kinds of protections, um, or I also don't want to work without having the ability to call staff you know, and get them to you know, fight for me or protect me or intervene or whatever. Like when you're ready to say what I do is valuable, that's a great time to join the union. Mm -hmm. You know, because otherwise, what good is it to join the union if you're not going to be loyal, if you're not going to you know, hold the line for the value of everybody? Because the union's only as strong as the membership that decide that we're not going to work for less than this. We're not going to accept work conditions that don't aren't at this level. So um, so that's really what, what I say is like from my position, from my point of view, it also depends where you are in the country. Because in Los Angeles, we have so many resources in the union that they don't have around the country. We have, you know, buildings and, you know, the resources and, you know, the membership that we all see every day at auditions and in, you know, theaters and whatever. So it's possible for us to have a really productive, supportive union community here. You take other regions of the United States, other locals, union locals, which is like union jurisdictions around the country. They don't have physical offices. They may have, you know, we have 83,000 members in the Los Angeles local, which is like, you know, SoCal. So I mean, we've got San Diego, which is the bottom of the state, but like the central lower band is like the Los Angeles local. We've got 83,000 members in this small geographic area. A local like Seattle has Alaska, Washington State, Idaho, and Montana as one local with 1,100 members sprinkled across it, like, you know, spreading peas on a plate. Like It's a lot harder for those members to, to be able to participate and take advantage of their union membership um, than it is for people in Los Angeles. So you know, the work opportunities in their uh, jurisdiction may be more limited or different than they are in Los Angeles. So again, complicated, you know, answer, but if you're in a major market like Los Angeles, I would say the sooner you join then, uh, and you understand how to make use of the union to your benefit, oh my gosh, I would do it right away and I would jump in, I would volunteer, I would take advantage of things like our LA Conservatory, the foundation, all the different opportunities to meet and network with WGA writers and DGA directors and CSA casting directors and CCDA commercial casting directors and learn from the best in the business, take all of the different you know, uh, classes and events and workshops that are put on by the union, meet other people who have made that financial commitment and also that 
that moral or ethical or union stance that I am worth at least this amount, because those are people that are serious about what it is that they're trying to do in this industry. Um, so there you go, kind of like at the end of the day, if you're, if you are willing to take the time to understand what the union can offer, um, I would join and make use of it as soon as possible. If you're in a market here and you're willing to sacrifice some of the non-union work, like some of the commercial work and things that have gone more non-union. And that's also cyclical. I mean, if we do a good job as a union, we can bring that commercial work back under union contracts. So, you know, it's also like, you know, we've got to learn our lessons and we've got to be able to change with the times and make sure that we don't do things that drive employers to want to work with, with non-union performers. Yeah, I love and that. I, I, isn't that great? That's, I think that's a great, great answer, Sean. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's, it is unique to each, each person, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, I think it can be unsatisfying and not unsatisfying when people ask a question and, and Sean, we have to say, well, it depends, which is, which <laughs> yeah. is a lot of times like it depends, you know, okay. That, you know, but I do think, like you said, the resources I've volunteered at the SAG conservatory I've taught there. And, you know, some of my favorite students I've, I've met there and, you know, Sean has, and, other people I know, and, and it's a great, it's a great, there's, there are great resources out there. If you're, if you're a part of it, the SEG foundation, SEG after foundation. Um, one of the things I wanted to just, just talk about Sean is when, cause people I'm sure are curious about also being in the casting world. And, you know, sometimes people come up to me and they're like, Hey, I really want to get into casting. Like, you know, and, and I did find, you know, when I'm working in casting, my auditions go up because I'm around, I'm around the world, you know, around the world of, of casting. But I've also found when people say, hey, I want to get into casting, I guess this is kind of a little bit of an, 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 an advice thing, is when you say that to like myself or to Sean or to someone else, we have to stick our neck out to bring you in. So we're kind of putting our reputation on the line. If the, you know, and I know that makes sense. But, but the thing that happens, and at least I found, is if people weren't really serious about it, if they were kind of casual about it, then when I'm working with a casting director and the person wasn't very good, they'd look at me and they'd say, John, you recommending this person? And I love helping people. I love to help them, you know, in this business and getting into casting. Whenever I can connect people, I try to. But I also started to realize a bit more why people can be hesitant to help because they need to know that that other person is ready, that the other person's put in the time versus just like, hey, can you help me? And they're real casual about it. Uh, have, have you run into that? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, you and I have both had our share of people that we've attempted to train and, and help into this thing. I think when, I mean, I didn't even know that the job of a session director was a thing when I moved out here mm -hmm. and it was just randomly meeting, you know, Joe Blake, you know, through mutual friends where I ended up getting hired by him to start learning how to run sessions. And then, uh, you know, with Nick and with Mike Adams back then. And, um, and then, you know, I was, I was into it. And I became one of the busiest session directors in town for you know many years. And I worked with something like 45 of the top commercial casting directors in our business. And from doing all of that work and all that, people would see what we do and they'd be like, well, that looks like a sweet deal. You get to meet casting directors and clients and directors and see what actors are doing in the room and build those friendships and all that. And then you know, and even though it's stressful, you know, it's less stressful mm -hmm. now because of, you know, social media groups, et cetera. But back then trying to cover yourself to get to an audition as an actor yourself, which just could be really, you know, painful because you don't want to let the casting director down who hired you, but you also don't want to miss an opportunity. Um, but you still could do it. You could both act and run session. And yeah. so we were able to pull that off. And so, uh, and you're working as an independent contractor, so you can say no to work if you don't want to take the day or take the take the job. 
So it seems like like an ideal job. You're making good money. You're meeting all these people in the industry. And all you have to do is run these auditions. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, you have to both be really professional because you're working with all different types of age groups and categories of talent. You have to be really efficient because you don't have time to waste when you've got a busy day seeing sometimes up to 200 people or, you know, which is a crazy day, but it happens. Um, and then, you know, you've got to be good with the technology so that you can address technical issues as they come up with the camera or the computer or the software, whatever the case may be. And you have to be really good at directing actors so that you're getting the performances that you need to give to the clients in a short period of time. So you have to have all of these different skills. And it's not something that most people are suited for. So they look at it and they're like, oh yeah, that's something I want to do. But then they actually step into it and you realize, or they realize, oh, I'm actually not really down for this. And then the other part of it that's tough about getting into it is that who, who, which actor listening to this wants to be the one that gets, th that their audition gets negatively affected by somebody who's not good at what they do running a session? No one, right? None of us want to put an actor in a position where because we were training someone, they got a worse opportunity in their audition. So you can't just turn someone loose before it's seamless. But, but you know, before like whether I step back and let you run it, like yeah. it won't affect the quality of the of the experience for anybody involved. And that's that's a that's a tough thing because you know it's not like these are paid training. Anybody who wants to learn how to run sessions, they've got to basically shadow until they can't screw anything up. Yep. And so that takes sometimes weeks of unpaid shadowing and learning. So not everybody has the ability to do that kind of time investment to learn this skill so that it can be seamless when they take over. So out of like the dozen or so people that I trained over the years, the one that really you know stuck with it was Jolene Kay, who's mm -hmm. like awesome and well leader within the community and just been killing it. And she's fantastic at it. But like she, she shadowed me for like off and on for like six months. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, because she really wanted to get out of working at Massage Envy or whatever it is that she was working at. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, and she did it. She manifested it. She made it happen. We met at a dinner party. She was fascinated by it. And she's like, will you train me? And I'm like, sure. Like, that'll work out. And of yeah. course it did. You know, she, <laughs> she became one of my dearest friends along the way. So, so yeah, casting, working in casting is a lot more complicated than what people I think do. it's complicated. And, and, and on the same side, I, or on the other side, I think it's a great, like, like you mentioned, Sean, trying to get a job in the industry, I think is such a wonderful thing because assistants I know are now casting directors, you know, associates are now cast, you know, or, or they go, they become writers or producers. And, you know, for, for me, when I started off, I was answering phones. Then I was taking Polaroids, Corbin. This is when Polaroids, you took a Polaroid of every actor that came in you had, and you had to staple it to their size, size sheet. Right. And then with what Sean's talking about, you have to be ready for when that opportunity comes, right? Mm -hmm. You got to be like over-prepared, you know? You've got to be totally ready. And, and that's what it was. It was a callback that someone canceled on. And they're like, we need someone to run the session. I'll never forget it. And I was like, I can do it. And I was like at the desk and they said, okay, get in there. And I couldn't, I was in there with the director, the ad agency, the casting director, and I couldn't get something working. Like I forgot to turn on like the DVD player or something because everything needs to be connected. And I'm like sweating. And I'm like, I think the DVD player is broken. It's totally <laughs> me, right? Then I got that going and I had practiced on my own time and, and followed some other people, shadowed some other people. So then, then it, then it flowed and from there, but, but I was prepared for that opportunity. And I think that's part of where I think sometimes just like, I guess what I'm, what I'm, what I'm talking about here is when people ask for a favor, it's like, well, what have you done? That's that, that you, that's that you can actively do on your part to show that you're ready 
kind of for the ask and for the opportunity. And, you know, that, that, that then the other side can take you seriously and be like, yeah, let me help you out. I can see that Joe Jolene put in six months and was like, um, you need me there. I'll shadow you, you know, great. I'm, I'm learning it. I'm learning the system. I think that is whatever field you're in. I think that's such an important thing because I also found with casting small little things were huge things. Right. And when I first started, I was like, why is this a big deal? Like, it's not a big deal. But when I started taking it seriously, when I started saying, okay, it's to my boss, it's a big deal. So it's a big deal to me. That's when I really started working. I think I've worked for 46 uh, of the top casting directors. What was your number, Sean? <laughs> so maybe one more. Um, no, but, but, but when I started taking it seriously, that's when I also started getting hired a lot as a session director and helping running castings is because it's like, yeah, this is people's livelihood. You don't want an actor to have a bad audition. You don't want the casting director to not have sound on you know, four auditions in a row, right? So I think that that level of professionalism trying to get to that point, I think is, is hopefully what people are striving for. Because It's the it, worst feeling in the world when, when somebody else's audition has been negatively impacted by your incompetence or your error or mistake, you know? So it's, and I think it only happened, you know, I don't know, over the 10 years that I worked in casting, I mean, I don't know, two, three times or something was there really like an issue, but God, it's the worst feeling ever. And I won't give anybody a referral until I know that they are battle tested and they're ready to go, you know? Yeah. So most people didn't make it to that point. Most of the people who trained with me, they just didn't get to the point where I was comfortable letting them take it from, you know, take it, take it over for me. And so, you know, that's why Jolene is my one star student. You know? <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, we are going to go to a quick commercial break. Hello, everyone. Welcome back, Sean. Uh, we want to start right now with our segment, Brag Time, which is a brag, uh, brag time. time. So give brag you an time. opportunity to brag about a win you've had, because oftentimes we don't get uh, get that to do in our in our industry or really anywhere. So just want to give you the floor to just say a win and, you know, go ahead and brag about Sean. OK, well, I mean, the most obvious thing to brag about is the fact that, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm on a TV series as a regular. And it's yeah, called, yeah congrats. It's, it's called The Chosen. We've got two seasons out. We're going to start shooting season three early next year. And um, what's really what's really amazing about this particular series is the fact that we know we're making seven seasons. So That's it's awesome. not like another network series where you don't know if you're going to get picked up for another season. Um, now, because it's an independent production, we're not getting the kind of pay you would get working for a huge network like CBS or Fox or NBC or something. But the job security of knowing that I've got a story to tell for the next five years of my life, like that's mm -hmm. really cool to know that I've got that going. And I think the other part of it that's just so amazing, I mean, if you would have told me, you know, years ago that the, the first time I'm on a TV series would be playing, uh, you know, a Pharisee in a story about Jesus and his disciples. I would have been <laughs> baffled by that, but, um, you know, and I've never really gravitated towards Middle Eastern roles where I have to play with an accent and that kind of stuff. But, you know, as an actor, obviously we love telling stories and, you know, the stories from the Bible affect billions of people on the planet and are so meaningful to billions of people. These stories have been around for a couple thousand years. So how often do we get to play a role in a story that's been marketed and around for 2000 years and has billions of 
followers or fans, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty incredible to have a opportunity to be part of a story that means so much to so many. Um, and that's being done really well. The, the, the feedback, the production quality, the acting, it's just top notch. And so it's, it's in the faith content space, there isn't always that kind of high quality acting production value, writing, all of that stuff. So this project is distinguishing itself for being, you know, different than the rest. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm so proud of the, the, the show. I'm proud of the production team and the, the creator director Dallas and the cast that I work with who are amazing. And, and we, we, are already, you know, becoming closer like a family. I, it's, it's interesting because I play one of the, you know, not villains per se, but, you know, one of the antagonists to Jesus in the show. Um, so I don't get to spend as much time hanging with everybody, like people who are playing the actual apostles or disciples, et cetera. Um, but, you know, we're all hanging out in the hotel and in the rooms, you know, and, and, you know, going out grabbing food or, you know, we have a WhatsApp thread where we keep in touch with each other and celebrate each other's successes. Um, Yasmin, who played Rayma in the show, uh, is now a series regular on NCIS Hawaii, shooting in wow. Hawaii. And so, you know, and NCIS, I don't know if you guys have noticed, those shows tend to stay around for a while. A they don't go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. <laughs> so, so I think Yasmin probably doesn't need another job for the rest of her life. <laughs> she's, she's good. good. That's amazing. <laughs> going to be like Young and the Restless or something with 10,000 episodes at some point. <laughs> Probably doesn't hurt to film in Hawaii too, you know? <laughs> no, so now, nice. now I'm bragging for Yasmin, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So that's, that's what I'll brag about is the chosen. That's well, I'm, I'm, I'm proud for that too, Sean. That's awesome, man. Con but I also want to share something about that that could be interesting for people, which is, you know, like, how did I book that particular job? Well, you know, first call was a self-tape for a completely different role. Then when I got the callback for an in-person callback, it was for Shmuel, which is the character that I play in the show. And I had, you know, a rehearsal partner who helped me prepare for that audition. And I took her with me. She got in the car. We were running things on the way to the audition. And then even when we were at the audition location, we were running things outside the office until the very moment I was called in. So I was warm and prepared and ready to rock. So, you know, going right into the room and doing my job. And so, you know, do people need to do that to book? Of course not. But I was not going to let anything, you know, uh, affect my ability to do my best in the room. And so, you know, I always believe in rehearsing with other people and on camera as part of your approach. And oftentimes I'll be at a studio or at a, you know, a casting office or something, and I'll be running lines with somebody over the phone just outside the the trailer or the office, just keeping it fresh, keeping it going, whatever. So that was a case where my work ethic, I think, made a big impact because I was prepared. I was prepared right up to the moment I went into the room with the help of another, you know, skilled performer. Um, and so, so yeah, that was part of how I booked it. Is there, that's amazing. I like, cause I think there's a big part of having that work ethic and kind of really caring about the project. It seems like you really thought this was going to be something great for you. Um, what kind of roles do you feel that for? Like, are there things that specific to Sean that you really enjoy? Because like your IMDb's, you know, you got like Seal, you got comedies, you got uh, this new project that you're going to be there for seven years. Like, 
how do you know the thing that's going to tick in your brain that you're like, I like this, this feels well, good. So I actually feel differently about it than what you described. I, I look at every opportunity the same way, mm -hmm. you know, nice. you never know which opportunity is going to be the one that's going to lead to an incredible new era of your career. I auditioned for just a co-star with the possibility of a recur on a pilot of an Amazon series that didn't even have a series order. This is back in 2000, I don't know, 14, something like that, 13, 14, something like that. Um, and I took as much pride and, you know, uh, professionalism in preparing for that little co-star, by the way, that was written for a guy in his 50s with spectacles and a mustache, whose <laughs> name was Egg Murphy. And I don't know, this is not an Egerton Murphy face, but I didn't, you know, I'm like, they wouldn't call me in if I, they weren't interested in what I had to offer. So I did my best. And that led to nine episodes across, you know, three seasons of a show called Gordimer Gibbons Life on Normal Street. It was my first network, <clears throat> you know, guest star roles that led to me being able to upgrade my representation to the representation that would eventually get me this, this series opportunity. So, you know, like for me, if I'm not going to do, if not, if I'm not, if I, if I haven't turned down a, a role, it's going to get the same love and attention as anything else that I auditioned for. And, you know, I've, I haven't booked so many roles that I would have absolutely loved. And I've booked roles that I never would have seen myself playing, but that's the, that's the gamble or the random nature of when you're just submitting yourself or having your team submit you for other people's projects, you don't know what's going to come through. You don't, you don't have any control over what you end up booking and don't book. Which is why I also advocate for us creating our own work and doing other things to, you know, to tell the kinds of stories that mean a lot to us in between booking other projects so that, you know, it's not entirely random what we actually get to shoot and don't get to shoot. So, yeah, speaking of hard work, um, Sean, I know you wrote a commercial acting book. Uh, mm -hmm. How was that as far as work? How did you go about approaching that and doing that? That's, that's quite an, an accomplishment. Yeah, interesting that you know about that, considering you were one of the consultants that helped me with it. <laughs> <laughs> so well, full disclosure. <laughs> um, so, well, what happened was, you know, and you know this all too well, John, that, you know, when I started working in casting, um, I wasn't teaching acting because I didn't have the career, the credentials to be able to teach anybody how to succeed as an actor in Los Angeles. I wasn't su succeeding myself at the time. But in 2007, 8, 9, when I was working in casting, I was still working with some of the top casting directors and, and working with the top clients and ad agencies and directors in the business. And so I got approached and invited by a couple casting director workshop kind of uh, uh, you know, businesses to come in, not as a casting director, but as a session director and talk about commercial auditioning. So I did one night at a place called Act Now in the Valley and they had a really great response to it. So they invited me back to do a two-weeker and they had a really great response to that. So they invited me back to do a four-weeker, which I started doing on like a, a quarterly basis. I would do a four-week commercial workshop with them. And I did that for a few years. And what ended up happening is I really wanted to make sure that I didn't forget about anything that I wanted to share during those workshops. So I wrote it all down into like a PDF um, and then that PDF kept growing and growing and growing finally to the point where I'm like, I think there's enough here to like, put out like a, a free PDF booklet about like, you know, and I'll just give it out for fun. <clears throat> and then I can't remember who it is. It's like, well, why don't you actually put it out as a book? 
you know, nothing's stopping you from giving the book out for free, but then people could actually buy the book around the world who don't have the benefit of knowing you or meeting you or whatever it is. So I'm like, so it was originally your notes is kind of what you're saying. My like, notes. I think, yeah. I and then that. I sent that manuscript out that those notes to you and about a dozen other people. And they're mm -hmm. all like, what do you think about this? Did you think about that? How about this? And it grew into this, you know, a couple hundred page commercial acting in LA, a session director's guide book. And I hired an illustrator to open up every chapter with a real kind of fun, a piece of art to capture the spirit of the chapter and its contents and uh, self-published it. I had, um, you know, a, an editor that I found that helped me clean up the manuscript. And then I found a book producer who handled setting up all of the online like accounts, the Amazon account, the Barnes and Nobles, blah, blah, blah. And before I knew it, I had a book out there and it only took me like five years to put the audiobook version out there, but I finally was able to meet uh, a, a buddy of mine who's a Emmy award-winning um, supervising sound editor for network television. He's like, you can come into my amazing studio and record your book for free. So <laughs> I recorded that. And so now there's an audiobook version of it as well. But the, the point of that, the interesting thing about that book, John, is that it's the only thing that I've put out with kind of that kind of sense of humor. Mm -hmm. So much of the other stuff that I write is just very like inspirational or informational or galvanizing or serious or whatever. Yeah. You know, but that book, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to write a book if I can't have fun while I write it. And so it's irreverent, it's, you know, playful, it's, it's spicy, it's, it's, you know, silly. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. And so it's kind of a unique, you know, creation of mine. And it just happens to be full of really functional information from somebody who has spent five years at that time working in casting as, you know, frequently as I think anybody I knew. Yeah, I think there's really, there's so much value in being behind the camera and in front of the camera at the same time. You know, I just think that's like, cause you're, you're, you're getting it from both sides. You know, you know what it's like to have the camera be like action point at your face. And then you're also on the other side where you're giving notes, you know, saying, okay, this is a great place to improvise. You know, this is a, you know, let's not, let's not do this joke because we've heard it a hundred times. And I think, you know, like your, your book is one of, you know, one of the, one of the, I don't know how many commercial, you know, acting books are out there. And so I don't think there's that many, but they're, they're, those are great things. I'm a big fan of reading. Um, and, you know, I've mentioned this before. And I, one of the things I'm always a fan of is like read books on acting, take them slowly and try applying the things. And if it works, great. If not, throw it away. But at least it's like you're learning from people that have experience being in the room, people that have experience being on set, people that have, that have taught, you know? Um, so the idea is like, I, cause I, I think it's so much, I don't, in my opinion, no one comes to this with the exact same like acting method or approach as the person next to them. Everybody, it's more of a grab bag, you know, what gets, what gets it done for you. And so, you know, some of the things that I've learned over the years that have come from improv and Meisner, I'll also use with some of the stuff I've read about Stella Adler with also just stuff I've seen in the room that just work, you know what I mean? And, and all those things I think helps make it so it's not just like one way, in my opinion, it's like, this is the only way you're going to get into this character, this role, this part. It kind of, it kind of depends, you know, kind of depends on, on the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to write that book and you're right. There aren't a lot of other commercial acting books that are out there. And now, you know, there's probably some stuff that needs to be updated because the world has changed because of COVID and because of the move to more self-tape and remote auditions and things like that. So, yeah. but, you know, I would say the vast, vast majority of the book is still relevant in terms of what it shares, um, the information yeah. that's within it. Um, 
it's also amazing because there's a little section of it that I talked about SAG after, and that was before I ever got involved. Part of it. Now that could be a whole book on its own, and it was just one paragraph in my in my book. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So it's amazing how things change. Uh, but yeah, that was a lot of fun to write that. Do you have anything, Sean, in like your morning or like a daily like routine? Like, I mean, I've I've been to your place. I've seen your big whiteboard and screens and all that stuff. But is there anything like how do you because you get a lot done? How do you kind of stay on top? Do you have any advice for people, whether they're actors or not, of like, you know, getting through your getting through your checklist or, or you know, staying, staying. I don't want to say staying regular. That sounds weird. Um, but but, you know, staying um, focused on a project. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I don't know what other people's lives are like. All I know is my own life and what how my own body works and my mind works. And so I don't know. You know, I know so many people who struggle in ways that I've either haven't struggled or I overcame those, you know, challenges earlier in life, I suppose, or maybe because of the way I was raised or not raised and what I needed to do to fend for myself or carve my path or having been the only Indian kid in an all white community and what that did to, you know, my work ethic or so I don't, I don't know how I ended up with the, you know, the traits that serve me well. Um, and so, uh, but I, I am, I'm very productive. And part of why I think I am productive is because I take care of myself and I take care of myself in the sense of, I reward myself and I, I make sure that I am, yeah, I'm doing the things that make my body feel rewarded for doing what I need it to do. So for example, I have a morning routine that sets me up to be ready for the day that involves you know, just steaming in the shower for, you know, a, a, sometimes a long period of time, just heating myself up and it like fills my battery, even if I've had didn't have as much sleep as I wanted, as long as I can take that nice, like long shower, and it's always in the dark. So it's just like, there's no bright light in my face. There's nothing. It's just being in like this hot cocoon for a while and just kind of charging myself my battery for the day. And just like, yeah, I'm just making sure I set myself up right where I'm entering into my day by choice, not by force. You know, that helps me mm-hmm. be like, okay, I'm engaging with this day the way that I want to. Um, so, so that's something, and I think that actually is psychological too, that comes from our house always being too cold growing up. And so I would, I would take showers to heat my body up because right. my, my parents <laughs> wouldn't put, turn up the heat. So I just go in the bathroom and try to warm myself with a long, hot shower or something like that. And I would come out piping hot and it would like leave me warm for a while, you know? So I don't know. I think that also kind of, you know, is like a ritual that just became part of my, my routine that makes me feel like I'm going to be good. I'm going to be okay. So I think things like that, but I also think like, you know, I have made a lot of sacrifices, you know, like you have a family, you have a wonderful family that you've, you know, created for yourself and a house and all of that. And I'm not in that position. I've, I've made different decisions where, uh, you know, I have yet to have those aspects of my life, but that has freed me up to have time that you don't have to do other things because I don't have those responsibilities. And so, you know, we all make different choices that, you know, take us in different directions, but, um, because I've been, and also because I've always kept my overhead expenses as low as possible, I've always had disposable income to throw at curiosities, interests, new kind of business ideas, equipment, technology, et cetera. 
So I'm able to adopt technologies very quickly that, you know, help me be more effective. I mean, even just my, my setup here that I'm talking to you guys is insane. Like I've got two 49 inch widescreen curve monitors and an insane sound system. Like, I, like the tech here is like, makes me feel so excited. This chair, it makes me, so, I mean, there's like, I don't know, 10 grand of shit sitting here and it just makes <laughs> me feel, it, it, and I feel so ready to rock. Like I'm yeah. like, I'm going to work. And it was so fun because I was working on a screenplay that I'm adapting last night. And like, I have all this screen real estate to prop up the book and to write on this big screen and whatever it's and like, you know, even right now, part of what's lighting me is the upper screen where I just have like a browser <laughs> open. That's giving me a nice led light. So, um, well, I so love yeah. that though, Sean, that's, that's, that's setting up your environment. And mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like, especially with the pandemic, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, as you know, I made, I made this, this desk that everything's sitting on and I'm so, I, I get excited when I'm sitting over here, same, same as you. And like, you know, figuring out your environment that makes you feel like ready. Like you said, I, I like that idea of like, kind of like attacking or starting your day versus, you know, it, it, it forcing you. I think that's great. So I, I think figuring out how to kind of take a look and maybe you have to spend a little money, but setting up the world. So you feel comfortable, you feel excited to like do the, do the work, you know, whatever that, whatever two that work other things is. Quickly, two other things yeah. that come to my mind quickly. One of them is that I always reward myself whenever I act. Yeah, I was going to, I love that. It's one I of the that. things where, you know, what I've found is that, you know, so many actors struggle with nervousness or performance anxiety. And that's very different than lacking confidence. Most of the actors that I talk to, they're not lacking in competence and confidence. They're lacking in in the, they, they suffer from performance anxiety and nervousness. And that comes from feeling threatened by the acting experience emotionally, hopefully not physically, you know, but, um, but so for them, you know, you have to break the punishment and reward cycle of like, oh, I think I did good, you know, reward. Oh, I think I did bad punishment. You don't want your body to ever fear the acting experience or to fear that it's going to be punished. So I've completely removed that from the equation. My body's always rewarded for auditions, for acting, for booking, for not booking, whatever it is. So my body's always on my side. It doesn't mean I never get nervous, but it means like it's never more than a background sensation. It doesn't interfere with my ability to, you know, do my job. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, one thing for sure um, that I just wanted to mention is that like, you know, I, I reward my body. And so it looks forward to the acting experience. And the other thing is like doing what you love. Um, and I get some, you know, I get that we have to have survival jobs. Trust me. I've had like 50 jobs since I was 14 years old. Like I know about survival jobs. Right. Um, but I always took pride in doing the best job that I could in those survival jobs because I chose to work there. I wasn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't forced to work at any of these places. So why would I be miserable and like, you know, slog through it? I was going to try to do my best in every job that I was in. And that helped me have more fun with the job because I was good at it and I was succeeding at it. And it's hard to be passionate about something until you're good and competent at it. So having the right attitude about my support jobs also helped. Um, and so, but I also think that, you know, there's a question that I asked my students a few days ago where I said, you know, what would you do if you had no fear? And I'm not talking like something that would kill you jumping off a bridge or something like that. But I mean, like the things that you could totally do, but you just don't because you're afraid. And then the follow-up question was, well, like, what would, what's the worst thing that would happen if you did act in the face of that fear, like you did get the rejection or you did get the whatever, like, and is that a price that you'd be willing to pay? In other words, are you not doing something that you should be doing 
when you're totally willing to pay the price of failing at it <laughs> of like you know like some people are it's almost like oh yeah i guess i would be totally okay with paying that price temporarily to try to do what i know i want to do you know mm-hmm. so i think like for for anybody who is you know listening to this uh, i think part of it is you know jim carrey did this commencement speech at maharishi university where he said you know, he learned a lesson from his father that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Mm-hmm. And that really speaks to me where it's like, hey, you can do everything right in life and still Enron happens or Lehman Brothers happens or whatever, you know, people can lose everything having done everything right. So why not spend your time pursuing what really fulfills you and turns you on? Because that gets you up in the morning when you're looking forward to your day. I look forward to every day of squeezing as much out of it as I possibly can. So um, I just, I just saw a quote or uh, Steve jobs talking and he was saying, you gotta be passionate because <laughs> with certain things, the road is so long and it can be hard that if you don't have that passion there, it's just, you're probably not going to stick with it. And mm-hmm. so I think you're, you're right, Sean, that idea of like, you know, you need that passion because otherwise when it gets challenging, which it will as, as a lot of things will, you know, you're just going to drop out of it unless you're excited and passionate. And, and I think that's, I think a lot of people, I think acting in this world can be fun. There is fun. Um, I don't think it's the only thing I think it's like, it's always fun. It's fun. It's like, well, that's, that's one of the problems is like, no, there's, there's, there's work to help make it fun, you know? And I think that's sometimes um, people need to keep, keep that in mind that, yeah, it can, it can look like, oh, it's a blast. It's fun. But behind that, a lot of times is a lot of work you know, and with what you're saying, I think all those things, and I love that idea of rewarding yourself um, and finding that, that, that passion. Yeah. But even some of that work, I mean, some of the work that we have to do, we, we have to do on our own, but a lot of the work that we have to do to prepare is, can be collaborative. Like I rehearse with somebody very early in my process. I'm reading through the material, yeah. you know, like watching an episode or doing research together or talking about the themes, et cetera. So I, I probably include other people in my preparation more than maybe anybody I know. Like I just, I, I turn, you know, kind of like if you have to weed the garden or you have to do something, if you have invite a friend to do it with you, suddenly it's a fun activity you guys are doing together. It's not just a tedious chore. So I'm very synergistic in that way where I try to involve other people in all of the annoying, boring stuff that I have to do in life. <laughs> Uh, Corbin, one of the first projects I did in LA, I did a short film that I wrote, directed and acted in called Endgame. And you talk about involving people. Sean was there like all weekend uh, helping out along with my buddy D'Angelo and Anthony. Those three guys were like my my rocks that like as all else was turning to hell and chaos and I didn't know what I was doing. Those three guys were there and uh, I'm going to see if I can find some. I got some fun photos that I that we should post one or two of them. Um, but, uh, you know, That's when amazing. you're talking about turning to people and collaborating, you know, Sh- Sean and I own an acting studio together. And one of the reasons that I think that Sean is so good at what he does is he is very loyal and he is there to support and also like be that rock, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I think that's really something about Los Angeles is people say, oh, this person's flaky. Or, you know, that's kind of a stereotype. People are flaky. And there are some flaky people here, but I don't surround myself with those people or I try not to. You know what I mean? So, you know, just and 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 I think that's one of the one of the great things is when you find there, because there are a lot of amazing artists here and all around the world. Um, but when you find those people that you collaborate well with, I guess is what I'm getting back to, Sean, with what you said, the people you rehearse with, the people that you know you can run lines with. It's like hold on to those people, like be active 
about, Hey, I love like when we're working together on this, it excites me. So like, let me know how I can help you, you know? And that's, what's really cool when that synergistic thing happens, but that comes from you being a solid person too. You know, it kind of works, works both ways, but when you find those people, grab them and hold on to them, because I think that's one of the reasons that, um, you know, Sean and I have been friends for so long and now we're, we're, we're business partners. And I think a lot of that is built on kind of the history, you know what I mean? Of knowing, um, that it's solid. Yeah. Surrounding yourself with people that are, it doesn't feel like work. You're just, you're pushing with your friends and it's, it is work, but it's, it's nice to be around people that you can uh, support you and keep going and life's hard. So might as well make it a little easier. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, Corbin, I think it's time for yeah, Sean's best bad acting. What oh, do you it's, think? it's definitely time for your best bad acting. <laughs> All right. So for this, Corbin is going to send you a quote in the chat. It's from a movie with Will Ferrell called Elf. And what you get to do is you don't have to do an impression of Will Ferrell or that. You get to put your own spin on it, but have fun with it. This is just to be bad and over the top. Um, and we may give you a fun redirect or something. All right. So it's already having a little fun. All right. So whenever you're ready. Santa? Oh my god, Santa here. I know him. I know him. <laughs> oh, the commitment is next. Oh level. my god, that was amazing. Oh my god. All oh. I can think of is that Sean loves multi-cams. I was like, this is so perfect. <laughs> yeah, this is so good. This is so perfect. Okay, so now I want to see, I had something in mind. I want to see Sean as a as a five-year-old kid doing this. <laughs> yes. Which might not be that different, but maybe not. Maybe it will. Okay. Santa? <laughs> oh my God. Santa here. <laughs> I know him. I know him. <laughs> oh, the looking dead in the camera <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. I love it. I love it. Good. Uh, I want to. I want to see with your music love a little, a little, little okay. song, a little sing song to it. Oh wow! Just oh wow! Corbin's really going musical for it. element to it. This is good. This is good. This is challenging. Santa! <laughs> oh my God, Santa here! I know him. I know him. <laughs> no, that was. That beautiful. is a musical I want to see. Why is that not a musical yet? And Sean is the lead. I love it. Oh, oh. my gosh. Sean, thank you so much. Thank that you. was so that fun. Was fun. <laughs> thank you for jumping in. Oh, that was hilarious. Oh my gosh. Oh, I mean, I think that's uh I think that's uh Corbin, was there anything else on our list? Nope, that's about it. Thank you, Sean. Oh my gosh. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, we wish you so much success on your journey. Likewise. Um, you. you know, thank we're you. excited to see you. We're gonna check out the chosen, check out your book, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, good luck out there. Keep uh Keep on keeping on, right? <laughs> Thanks, right. buddy. Bye, Sean. Thank you for listening to the Moving Spotlight Podcast. Please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. And we're on YouTube, so like and subscribe if you haven't already. And don't be afraid to share this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't be afraid. I know it's scary. It's just a little click of a button, but it's, it's, it's good. One little button. <laughs> we would appreciate it. Wouldn't we Corbin? We would, we really would. Corbin wants to buy another guitar. I do. So please I need four help. more. Please help. <laughs> <laughs> Someday he'll play him. Thanks everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the. Movie Spotlight Podcast.